here we are again. One. He was just shy of two years old when his father led him out on stage. The lights were bright. He could not make out the crowd that erupted at his entrance, but felt the enormity of it. A great, insatiable beast whose craving for entertainment throbbed and filled the Drury Theater's walls. He danced and tumbled as he had been trained a little clown should do, and he soaked up the applause and the first savory taste of laughter that filled his ears. Behind the scenes, away from the paying crowds, he was given a lonely corner of the dressing room to sit and wait till he was needed. The fun and whimsy were to be saved only for the stage. Under his father's watchful eye and fearsome temper, he dared not move. But in his absence, he would dance and sing for the other performers, who would take great pleasure in loudly proclaiming, Here comes your father! just to watch the young boy scramble back to his nook to avoid the beating. The beating still came, not always in the privacy of the theater's wings. An earl visiting the dressing room thought it amusing to see if he could get the lad to toss his wig upon the fire for a half-crown, which the boy promptly did. Startled, the man did his best to retrieve the wig and return it to the child, for he was due on stage. His disheveled appearance was greeted by a roar of laughter as he presented himself to the crowd. His father turned to see the cause of the commotion, and seeing the grotesque state of his son immediately fell upon him with a violent rage, beating him severely. The boy roared vociferously. This was all taken by the audience as a most capital joke. Shouts of laughter and peals of applause shook the house, and the next morning's newspapers declared that it was perfectly wonderful to see a mere child perform so naturally, and highly credible to his father's talent as a teacher. Three. There is a price to pay for the narcotics of applause and laughter that every actor craves. The cost became apparent early on. In shows, his father would parade him around the stage dressed as a monkey with a chain about his waist. The crowd would then be awed as he was swung at great velocity over his father's head. But the amusement ceased when one evening the chain snapped and the young boy was flung out into the orchestra pit thankfully with minor injuries. This was not to be the case when he was dressed as a cat, but not given the benefit of sight due to a hastily constructed costume, fell 40 feet down a trap door left open in the stage. He paid well that day, suffering a broken collarbone and numerous contusions. Tyrants, like us all, die someday. His father knew this well and dwelt upon his own demise as he wandered the local cemeteries. He would circulate amongst the headstones, 
reading the inscriptions and trying to recreate in his imagination the circumstances under which the occupants of the graves had died, what had they died of, and how they had conducted themselves in their final moments. On occasion, his father would fake his own death and have the servants bring the children in to gaze upon him as he lay cadaverous on his deathbed, then beat them if they did not show the appropriate grief or celebrated his passing. He became obsessed by the horror of being accidentally entombed alive. To ensure against this fate, he swore his daughter to an oath, secured with the promise of a posthumously gifted gold watch. See me out into my coffin in the day that I am buried to sever my head from my body, the only favor I request, and then to follow me to the place of my burial. The day his father had long contemplated arrived, and with it the obligation of the deed promised. However, his sister, not feeling that she could perform the act she had promised to their father, called a surgeon to complete the task. Not wishing to risk her inheritance, though, she did reach out to touch the surgeon's knife as it cleaved cranium from corpse, thereby performing the legal minimum in executing her father's request. Five. He was ten years old and free to take the stage by storm. The shadow of his father cast off propelled him towards heightened fame. He gloried in the laughter of the crowd, the fuel that kept him going despite the physical toll his antics took upon his body. The show must always go on despite the cost. The ravenous beast must be fed, the audience's demand for entertainment and his craving for applause. A scene complete, he would wander off stage to collapse from the pain and exhaustion of the pantomime. A performance of Great Devil required him to draw a pistol from his boot and fire a ballless charge at a fellow performer. Folly struck when the trigger caught on the boot loop and discharged in his boot. The boot itself puffed out to a great size, which the attendants ate up with cacophonous glee. Smiles on the faces of all in attendance, the painted smile on his face concealing the excruciating agony. Determined not to mar the scene, he carried on until its conclusion. Finally off the stage, with the assistance of several persons, the boot was removed to reveal the explosion had set fire to his stocking which had been burning slowly all the time he had remained upon the stage, the wadding still alight and resting upon his foot. So it went, calamity, tumble, and trick wearing him down. Yet he diligently whitened his face, added scarlet to his cheeks, and donned the outlandish costumes that would help him redefine for all time the role of clown and raise his star bright as the most famous entertainer in all of England. Time and again, summoning every last dram of vitality to perform his acrobatic feats, just to drink up a few more moments of the guffaws escaping the lips of the crowds. But the well ran dry. Six. Six.
It had been 46 years since he first walked the stage and heard the siren song in the theater. On the night of his farewell, being wholly unable to stand, went through his performance seated upon a chair. Even in this distressing condition, he retained enough of his old humor to succeed in calling down repeated shouts of merriment and laughter. His days of pantomime were done. Now appearing before the audience uncostumed, amidst thunders of applause, he waited till silence could be obtained and he could muster up sufficient courage to speak. He advanced to the footlights and delivered his parting address. Ladies and gentlemen, Ladies and gentlemen in putting in off, putting the, off clown's the clown's garment, allow me to drop also the clown's taciturnity and address you in a few parting sentences. I entered early on this course of life and leave it prematurely. Eight and forty years only have passed over my head, but I am going fast down the hill of life. Like vaulting ambition, I have overleapt myself and pay the penalty in advance old age. If I have now any aptitude for tumbling, it is through bodily infirmity, for I am worse on my feet than I used to be on my head. It is four years since I jumped my last jump, filched my last oyster, boiled my last sausage, and set in for early retirement. Not quite so well provided for, I must acknowledge, as in the days of my clownship. For then, I dare say, some of you remember, I used to have a fowl in one pocket and sauce for it in another. Tonight has seen me assume the motley for a short time. It clung to my skin as I took it off, and the old cap and bells rang mournfully as I quieted them forever. With the same respectful feelings as I ever do, I find myself in your presence, in the presence of my last audience. This kindly assemblage, so happily contradicting the adage that a favorite has no friends. For the benevolence that brought you hither, except, ladies and gentlemen, my warmest and most grateful thanks, and believe that of one and all, I take a double leave with a farewell on my lips and a tear in my eyes. Farewell that you and yours may ever enjoy that greatest earthly good. Health is the sincere wish of your faithful and obliged servant. God bless you all. It was with no trifling difficulty that he reached the conclusion of this little speech. Although the audience cheered loudly and 
gave him every possible expression of encouragement and sympathy. When he had finished, he still stood in the same place, bewildered and motionless, his feelings being so greatly excited that the little power illness had left him wholly deserted him. In this condition, he stood for a minute or two until his friend, standing at the side scene, commiserating his emotion, kindly advanced and led him off the stage. Seven. Seven. He lived on for ten more years, weathering the deaths of both his son and wife. He made a habit to spend a portion of each evening at a tavern close to his lodgings, where the society of a few respectable persons compensated him for the many long hours he spent by his lonely fireside. Utterly bereft of the use of his limbs, he would be carried back and forth on the shoulders of a man. On the night of his death, he was carried home in the usual manner, and cheerfully bidding his companion good night, observed that he should be ready for him on the morrow at the customary time. He had not long been in bed when his housekeeper, fancying she had heard a noise in his room, hurried down and found him dead. A coroner's inquest was held on the following day and at once returned a verdict that he had died by the visitation of God. Eight. The first Sunday of February dawns bright and clear. By 2 p.m., the crowds have already begun to gather outside the All Saints Church, Hagerston. The congregation is showing up in their finest outfits, polka dots, plaids, and patchworks all present, faces painted with the greatest care, red noses on all. The air is filled with pops, bangs, whistles, and snaps. Unicyclists totter here and there, ringing the bells on their airzats handlebars, while others blow bubbles, all in attendance reveling in the Harlequin spectacle. The service time has arrived, so with puppets, dummies, and marionettes in tow, they file into the church, just as they have on this day for over 70 years. Once the pews are filled and the attendants are seated, likely with numerous whoopee cushion salutes, it is time for the mass turned circus sideshow, honoring the godfather of clowns to begin. Nine. Just off Pentonville Road in Islington, North London, through a small black gate, you'll find the remnants of a cemetery, but has since become a park. The broken headstones of the long-forgotten souls ring the playground, save for one. Off in the southeast corner, enclosed in a wrought iron fence, is the one which bears his name. To honor him, you are invited to dance upon his grave, for nearby are twin bronze coffins 
embedded in the ground, which make music as you prance upon the plates. And if you do, may you be reminded of the parting words from his memoir. Life is a game. We are bound to play. The wise enjoy it. Fools grow sick of it. Losers, we find, have the stakes to pay. That winners may laugh, for that's the trick of it. Ten. There is an apocryphal story attributed to him and almost every other clown or comedian of note. It goes like this. After long suffering the malaise of chronic crippling depression, he is desperate to find anything that might offer a scant breath of relief from the grimness of his tortured mind. Consulting a doctor about his affliction, the doctor enthusiastically announces that he has just the cure he needs. Joseph Grimaldi, the funniest person in the world, is in town doing a show. All you need to do is buy a ticket and you'll guaranteed be cured of this melancholy. He thanks the doctor for his time, and as he turns to leave, states, The only problem with this remedy is that I am Joseph Grimaldi. Previously, on Dirty Talk After, After hours. hours. Yeah, you ready for this final volley? I'm ready. All right, let's, let's do, do it. All right, hunker down. Oh shit! It looks like they're regrouping. Ah! What are they doing over there? Oh crap! Ah! Incoming! After Hours, available exclusively on Patreon every Monday morning. If you do want to get access to the Dirty Talk After Hours podcast, you can get it in one of two ways. You can follow Rain DeGray on Patreon at patreon.com backslash Rain DeGray. You have to type it out exactly. I'm not searchable because I'm naughty. She has been blacklisted. She's in the adult ghetto. I'm a bad, bad girl.
or you can head on over to our brand spanking new shiny Dirty Talk podcast Patreon, which is patreon.com backslash Dirty Talk podcast. Either way, if you pledge at $5 a month, you will get exclusive weekly access to the Dirty Talk After Hours podcast. Don't get me wrong. I love chocolate syrup and whipped cream. But what no one tells you about chocolate syrup and whipped cream is just how hard it is to get out of hotel room carpets. (laughs) Particularly if you don't have any cleaning supplies and are only using cheap toilet paper and your fingers. That hotel room toilet paper shreds like confetti under your hand. And it only makes things worse. Really, all you end up doing is smearing shit deeper into the carpet while shredding your fingers down to raw hamburger. I should back up a bit. You're probably all wondering how I ended up on a hotel room floor on my hands and knees clawing chocolate syrup and whipped cream out of the carpet in the first place. I can explain. If you haven't heard of me, I've done some fetish modeling in my day. (laughs) Fetish modeling can cover a wide range of things, and in this particular case, it involved donning a bright red clown nose and some grease paint before throwing 50 pies at another naked model. This wasn't my first exposure to kinky clowning. Of course I've been beaten with a rubber chicken by a sadistic clown at the local dungeon. Who hasn't? The location that the clown porn producer chose for the great pie-off was a rundown hotel room as he didn't have access to studio space. His genius idea, if you want to call it that, was to throw down some tarps on the hotel room floor and just hope for the best. (laughs) I'm not going to claim that women are better at cleaning things than men. (laughs) This is the 21st century, and we are past sexist ideas like that. Am I right? What I can say is that he brought zero cleaning supplies. (laughs) Cleanup just never occurred to him. Just naked girls throwing pies at each other. I'm nothing if not open-minded, and while clown fetish is not something that personally makes me wet. My motto is to try everything once. You just might like it. Well, and also he was paying me. That helped. (laughs) But if you get a chance to throw 50 pies at a hot naked fetish model, you might as well go for it. It's a bonus if it helps pay your rent as well. My first clue that something was off was how run down the hotel was 
and how nervous and sweaty the producer was. He claimed the pie-off was for a new site he was launching, but I've never seen the footage released. I suspect the resulting shoot might have bankrupted his clown porn dreams. (laughs) When your very first shoot sinks your website dreams, it might be time to go back to the drawing board. As I entered the room, I could see a few tarps lining the floor and bed and 50 pie tins filled to the brim and quivering over with chocolate syrup and whipped cream. Do you have any idea how much space 50 pie tins take up? None of them could be stacked on top of each other or they would start to melt down into the next tin. The entire room was an ocean of melting whipped cream pies that covered every available surface. When I say every available surface, I do mean that. Every desk, chair, and floor surface had a pie on it. Trying to find your way through them to get to the main stage, aka bed, was an obstacle course you were guaranteed to fail and the sharp edges of those cheap pie tins would shred your ankles along the way like a pack of rabid wolverines. However, I am not a quitter, and there was money to be made. I gamely stripped down naked on the bed, crouched into a fighting stance, and faced the other model as the camera started rolling. We had a number of pre-positioned pie tins laid out on the bed for us to work with. The first tin was a shock. It was chilled chocolate pudding that sucked every scrap of warmth out of my bones. Following the unexpected soul-sucking cold of the pudding, my eyes started burning. What I hadn't realized until that very moment is just how much sugar burns your eyeballs. And chocolate pudding is packed full of sugar. It only took a few pie tins to the face before my eyeballs started to swell shut and become little reddened slits. I was naked, half blind, and covered in chocolate pudding. I looked like I had just staggered out of a really hardcore fetish party where things went really wrong really right, depending on your personal preference. The other thing I didn't fully grasp is just how long it takes to throw 50 pies at someone. It was a ceaseless assembly line that I would never reach the end of. I suddenly knew how Lucille Ball felt with all of those goddamn bonbons. It didn't matter how many pies I threw at my slimy naked comrade in the clown porn trenches. The producer was always adding more pies to the damn bed. My world narrowed down to a freezing, slippery puddle of whipped cream and chocolate. I had no traction and floundered on that coated hotel room mattress as my clown nose slid off after yet another pie to the face. (laughs) Through my puffy, sugar-swollen eyes, I could vaguely see 
the Jackson Pollock splattered hotel walls. Those tarps had long ago given up the fight. Whatever poor hotel room maid was going to have to deal with the aftermath of this room was going to feel like Willy Wonka's factory had just exploded on her. Time lost all meaning. It was all pies, all the time. They were never going to end. My entire life was cold pie to the face. Pies is a damn long time. Centuries passed, then millennia. Universes were born, refolded, slid into black holes, and bloomed out again. Entire civilizations rose and fell. And then, somehow, the pies came to an end. That's a wrap! The producer shouted dramatically. I staggered off to the shower and spent an inordinately long time extracting chocolate pudding out of my nostrils and ear holes. The few thin hotel room towels looked as if I had just had a particularly vicious case of irritable bowel syndrome. When I finally extracted myself from the bathroom, I found the despairing producer on his hands and knees trying to scoop pudding out of the carpet. Pityingly, I joined him in his futile scooping party. It was a sad little party and a lost cause. We were never going to pull it off. The other model got paid and she slid out the door. It wasn't her problem. We only stopped when I ran out of toilet paper. I can't say the room looked any different. In despair, the producer packed up his camera equipment and informed me with a quiver in his voice he had put the room on his personal credit card, which had a $500 limit. It was going to take more than $500 to replace those carpets. Not to mention the curtains. Not to mention repainting the walls. The great pie-off was a bust. I solemnly handed him my clown nose and wished him luck. We never spoke again. I still think about him now and then. When I pass the bottles of chocolate syrup in the aisles at the grocery store, my eyes will burn a little and I can't help but think about the blast of sugared air and rank chocolate that must have hit the maid like a freight truck when she opened that room the next morning. (laughs) That poor woman, wherever she is, I bet she still has PTSD. (laughs) Clown porn can be a fine fetish, and I am all for it. But always bring enough tarps and cleaning supplies. Otherwise, you are paying to re-carpet a hotel room, and that will add up pretty damn quick. (laughs) Obviously, this isn't the only time I have wrecked a hotel room. Who else here has woken up and found shit on the ceiling of their Vegas suite? Come on, let's see. Come on, let's see those hands. Mm-hmm.
I'm going to try something a little bit different this time around. That is to say that I always strive to find a unique angle to present the information that we cover in every podcast. So maybe this isn't so unique. In researching clowns for this episode, I attempted to package the idea of what a clown is into a satirical skit. My process goes like this. I have no idea about the destination of my journey. I spend whatever quiet moments I can find launching my search craft into the sea, letting the currents of information toss me to random and varied shores. Examining the Lagan I encounter, I take note of its location so as return if it warrants further investigation. The next few days are spent going about my regular business, letting the findings coalesce into a rough idea. I wanted to find a way to distill the essence of clown down to a 10 to 15 minute piece of sound. However, on this occasion, nothing seemed to stick. Sure, I could talk about the history of clowns, how they've been around as long as society itself, or the symbolism behind clowns. I might have written something humorous about the recent trend towards scary clowns, the uptick in evil clown sightings, and the decline in the number of professional clowns. Maybe I would find a way to throw in the fact that clowns paint their faces on eggs to copyright their image, or that they were primarily adult entertainment up until the end of the 19th century, and it is often claimed that their red noses came from satirizing drunkards. There was so much information, but I felt nothing extremely valuable to say. Finally, I decided that I would tell my own story about the most memorable encounter I've ever had with a clown. I was 20 years old and had just moved out of my mother's house into a place of my own. A run-down house that I shared with three other men one town over. I debate whether to call us men because at that age we were still very much children trying to figure out the newfound freedom and trials of adulthood, often not so successfully. At the time, my hometown could very well be described as a time capsule of the late 1960s. It had always been a place for revelry, founded primarily as a location for San Franciscans to have a weekend getaway from the city and a place to escape for drinks during Prohibition since the local law enforcement were known to turn a blind eye and an outstretched palm. Much like myself and my roommates, my hometown was still stuck in adolescence, refusing to grow up. Every year, it would have a weekend-long music festival in the downtown park, causing the town to swell to capacity with drunks and stoners. This was my first time attending the festival as a freshly minted independent adult, so of course that meant that I, and my girlfriend at the time, should drop acid the moment we stepped out of my front door to ensure it would be fully hitting us after walking the three miles to the festival and its chaotic mass of humanity. 
we judged wrong. About halfway there, the first waves began to hit, slowing our steps, making our breaths feel like liquid in our lungs, and our muscles slacken from our bones. It was at this point that we realized coming towards us on the sidewalk was an extremely angry clown periodically turning his head to yell profanities back the way he came. My girlfriend started getting concerned, whispering to me, What do we do about this clown situation? I'm too high to deal with this right now. I reassured her that everything would be fine, and probably in my best Hunter S. Thompson voice said that we would just pretend that it wasn't happening and that we would have to remain stoic and as if this was completely normal set of circumstances and we would not even acknowledge him as we passed. Coming face to face, he looked at us in the eyes and let loose with an emphatic, Fuck this town. It was at that moment that he gained my full attention. Suddenly sympathetic to his clown plight, and due to the general feeling of love for all things in the universe that was seeping into me, I decided I need to learn more. Despite my girlfriend's protests, I engaged him in conversation. The clown had been run out of town by the police for performing without a permit. He had shown up at the festival with the hope of making a couple of bucks by selling balloon animals to kids. Somehow, he had drawn attention to himself. I can only assume it was because he was one of the most raggedy clowns I had ever seen. He was promptly informed that he would have to leave or face being fined and or potentially be arrested. He concluded his story by saying, and I quote, I would have been better off and made more money selling drugs to the kids instead of balloons. He then inquired if either of us wanted to buy some weed. Declining, we wished him well, commiserated with him about the unjust local law enforcement, and continued on our way. In hindsight, it occurs to me that clowns are essentially the psychedelic equivalent of humans. They open our eyes and give us a different perspective on the everyday. Their humor often revolves around the absurdity of the most common things and makes us question our own complacence in accepting the mundane. In royal courts, they were the fool given license to indulge in excess, while the rest of society was forced to remain properly demure. They could act drunken, overtly sexual, lewd, and often be the only one that could ridicule the king without fear of death, leaving them in the sole position to mouth the frustration of the commoners. They are the mirror of our wanton desires and animalistic urges that was suppressed in the name of civility. They are the anti-human. They are the lust, gluttony, indulgence, and insanity that creep into our minds and whispers in our ears, but, like I told my girlfriend, we remain stoic, pretend everything is normal, and hope it passes quickly. What do we do about this clown situation?
Maybe they are the antimatter to our matter. Clowns in Native American society would often perform every task in its opposite. They would live their lives backwards. Perhaps that's what scares us most of all about clowns, is that they remind us of how ridiculous our lives really are. They show us the tasks that we use to fill our days, the rituals we create to keep the emptiness at bay. They don't fear the constant reminders that no matter how well we regiment our society, that it is never more than mirage. That our constructs of religion, politics, science, and social rules are simply crude levies against the knowledge that no one, anywhere, despite how loudly they protest in opposition, knows what's really going on. They are the reminder that there is no control. They are the terror that haunts our heart, the knowledge that the universe is larger than we can ever conceive. We tell ourselves stories of why it's here and what our place is in it, yet we're still just naked apes, hurtling through space in a gas bubble surrounding a wet ball of mud and staring up at the vast, unending blackness of the night sky, making our best guesses. Clowns aren't trying to control the world or tell you fables that somewhere someone is in charge, so don't worry, it's business as usual. Clowns embrace the chaos that rules us all and laugh back in its face because really there's nothing more that can be done. Far into the future, when the last star blinks out of existence and the universe's heat death is complete, will any of this truly matter? Or will the most important thing be that we took as much time to laugh as we could during the brevity of each one of us being the universe experiencing itself? Maybe clowns are as terrified by these things as the rest of us, but are just better at hiding their fear. Perhaps they have to paint the smile on their face to veil that they are just as scared. It is fitting that they stencil their likeness onto eggs, the apotheosis of fragility. A smile like everything in life is fragile. All we can do is keep trudging through, seeking out the next one, and reassuring ourselves that it is out there somewhere. The tarot fool walks blindly towards a cliff with a smile on his face and the utmost certainty that the universe will catch him if he falls. But maybe... Maybe clowns are the most human of us all. What could be more humane than wanting to bring more joy and laughter into this world? Some clowns follow a code of ethics. The last line of Commandment 1 reads, I will remember that a good clown entertains others by making fun of himself or herself and not at the expense or embarrassment of others. It's sad that at this time, when we need clowns most, their numbers are declining. One clown group has estimated that membership has dropped by a third over the last decade as older clowns die and fewer young people are interested in picking up their mantle. I've never considered myself to be a clown, even though I've inadvertently lived by their creed to make fun of myself for the amusement of others, although I am guilty 
of directing cruelty towards and laughing at people that don't share my same beliefs and worldviews. I guess clowns should serve as a reminder to always check my own biases and the comically illogical nature of my own beliefs before pointing my accusatory finger at others. I think we all take ourselves a little too seriously at times. And it's good to have a clown around to keep us in check with their self-depreciating humor. I will remember that a good clown entertains others by making fun of himself or herself and not at the expense or embarrassment of others. How much better the world would be if we could all follow this same principle. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us for our podcast, Clown. Waka waka. We are always trying to do different things with it. Hopefully you liked what we brought around this time. Maybe it was a little bit more introspective. Maybe you liked the comedy bit. Give us a call if you have feedback, want us to do a certain topic for you, or if you want to tell us anything else, the call-in number is... 775-387-2278, also known as... 775-DTP-CAST. Yep. If you are enjoying these podcasts, we do a weekly after-hours podcast on our Patreon pages, your Patreon page and the Dirty Talk Podcast Patreon page, and we will also have a clown follow-up podcast. We do follow-up episodes for every regular podcast because we usually have a ton of information that didn't make it into the regular podcast, but we thought was fun, whimsical, and we want to share. Check that out. Of course, you can find this podcast on every podcast platform you can think of. Please rate, follow it. We ask you to do the three R's, which are... Recommend, rate, and review. Exactly. Tell a friend, rate it, all that great stuff. It really does help people find us and boost the numbers and we love what we're doing and we love bringing it to you finally we want to thank our honorary producers who are rolf hansen and his wives thank you so much rolf for your ongoing support you are awesome and deeply appreciated here at the dirty talk empire that's what we got for you this time around hope you enjoyed it and we will catch you next time Thanks for joining us. See you all next month. Over and out, one jaunty salute coming your way. Booyah.